0: You're listening to an irreverent podcast.
1: For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm.
0: Hey friends, welcome back, or just for the first time, I don't know your life, to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm here with my friend, Jessica... Oh... My God, I totally stumbled over my tongue. <laughs> Jessica Gerhardt. Um, not a hard name to say. Don't know why that happened. It's fine. Um, how are you, Jessica? You are yeah. a singer-songwriter. Is that the correct term? Is, or is that the that genre?
1: <laughs> that's. I am a singer-songwriter and a freelance musician and artist. And I have a few other part-time jobs in there.
0: Yeah, you do. Me.
1: Doing the artist life in LA. (laughs) Yes.
0: The artist life is the best life question mark. We're still figuring it out.
1: (laughs) It's a day-by-day question. (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: But you actually brought me this um idea to do a podcast episode on a very popular podcast called Dear Lana. Um, from hold on, I have my information pulled up. It's from Tenderfoot productions or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean it was the number one podcast for a long time and it just so happened to be about mm-hmm. religious trauma. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, what tell the tell the listeners a little bit about the podcast and what was what it was about.
1: Yeah. So, um I saw some stuff about it from a few different Catholic folks that I follow on social media who either knew the the host the narrator of it who created the podcast or were like listeners and people were like have you listened to this podcast yet so I checked it out and it is from the perspective um of Simon uh Fung Mm -hmm. who is the producer and a narrator of the podcast and he had heard about Alana Chen who passed away believe in 2019 um and she sadly died by suicide um and she was raised uh she grew up in the catholic church um and she was hiding the fact that she was attracted to women Mm. um and so she felt that her catholic identity and her homosexual uh, attractions and her that that facet of her identity were in conflict and it created deep shame for her and and it really impacted her mental health and um when after she died her mother started to try to write about it and create some awareness around what had happened to her daughter and so when simon heard the story He became inspired, wanted to help Joyce, uh, Alana's mother, to tell Alana's story. And so that's kind of where the podcast, from where the podcast was birthed. And um, it's, it really resonated with me for a number of reasons. Um, And the, each episode just kind of explores and tells the story. It's like chapters of this story um, that build upon one another. And it really examines, it re- examines religious trauma, it examines the, the way that sexuality and sexual orientation, um, you know, intersect with religious identity. Um, it looks at mental health, it looks at how the church handles mental health, how different theological, not just teachings, but also pastoral approaches also impact people's mental health and sense of feeling integrated or disintegrated and um and and the way that family in relates and it's just it's very holistic it touches on a lot of things it is very heartbreaking and 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 heavy and each episode has a trigger warning beforehand because it is a lot especially mm. for queer people or people with religious trauma to listen to um i related to a lot of elements of the story and i was just very moved by it so
0: Yeah, I felt the same. I mean, I thought I would have this like distance because I didn't grow up Catholic. Um, So I was like going into it all willy nilly and lo and behold, um, I feel like a lot of times evangelicals or ex evangelicals don't necessarily recognize that just how we have people who are so fervent and so like into the religion and somewhat like of a toxic way, I would say, like on an individual level. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. um That I didn't realize that people who are Catholic also <laughs> would have the like, duh, like no shit, Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Like of course, you <laughs> know there are Catholics out there. And I mean, they t- touched on a little bit of like the trad Catholic movement. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about trad Catholics and how they differ from the regular Catholics, if that's a thing?
1: So. I really as a as a Catholic who has seen quite a spectrum of Catholic mm. flavors, if you will, um I really appreciated how he describes different Catholics um to answer your question specifically, traditionalist Catholics who I often refer to as rad trads, even within that I label there's trads. kind of a spectrum yeah so there's like the super rad trads who are actually technically like excommunicated from the church mm. they are a set of vacantists i believe basically they don't believe that we've had a real pope for the past Ooh. several popes
0: one of my favorite and cults they, here
1: <laughs> they're very pre-vatican too. They mm. they think that's all like satanic um they have like latin everyone wears chapel veils it's extremely extremely um constricting and, mm-hmm. and I think Mel Gibson was a part of one of those. And churches. they still have
0: service in Latin, right? That's like a big thing. They do.
1: So that's one movement. And then there's like people who are still technically in communion with Rome who are like a, a notch, slightly less trad than the excommunicated ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also are like pro-Latin mass, pro like you ought to wear head coverings if you're a woman, very gender essentialist, very... Um, old school skirts should be to your ankles, like very conservative and very, um, modesty culture, you know, all of it. Um, and I remember like, I didn't, I grew up in a church that, uh, was very welcoming, Mm. very on the spectrum of Catholic churches, pretty inclusive and diverse, And um, it was a more privileged church economically. It's one of the more well-off churches in the Los Angeles Archdiocese. Um, um, But they have a lot. They have a queer ministry that's, like, not a conversion ministry, but it's, like, a community-based ministry for queer Catholics. Sweet. They have a lot of social justice stuff. And when I was involved with youth group growing up, like, it was very like, you're welcome as you are. It's not Mm. like, oh, you have to follow this. There was no like signing virginity pledges and that sort of thing (laughs) in my youth group. So I didn't grow up with a lot of that baggage that I know a lot of other Christians did. It really wasn't until post-college in my 20s that I was looking for Catholic young adult community and started to come across young adult Catholics who were extreme. Like I was looking for people who were more, Searching for depth and since like taking their faith more sincerely, because I was encountering some Catholic young adult groups where it felt much more just like dating and partying. And trying to find a spouse, cute like the Mormons. Well, I was like 22, and I was going to a Catholic young adult group that was like pretty easygoing.
2: Yeah, but
1: it just felt like most people were in their like late 20s, early 30s, and just like kind of looking for like a spouse who shared their Catholic values. Yeah, you were on your spiritual journey. I was like on my spiritual journey, and I was also too young to be thinking about that stuff. In my mind, I was like, I'm not trying to become like a wife and a mother yet, like. I'm just trying to find my footing. I don't have a job out of college yet because I graduated right in the peak of the recession in 2011. And it took me a year and a half to find a full-time job. So I started looking like I was driving everywhere around LA. So I, I was going to this worship night on the in the San Gabriel region, which is tends to be a little more conservative in my experience out here. And uh, I went to this I remember going to this night that was on Faithful Citizenship and this woman who was giving this talk was like, the nuns on the bus aren't Catholic. Joe Biden isn't a Catholic and we have to vote for Romney because Obama is an atheist. And this woman behind me Whoa. raised her hand and was like, but I thought Romney was Mormon and Mormonism is is an anti-Catholic Masonic cult. So how can we vote for Romney? And I was That's just so like, new.
0: I've never heard that.
1: <laughs> there are a lot of conspiracy theories, too, that like among this more conservative bent that like pretty much anyone in power is like also in the Illuminati. So there was like some crossover with some pretty fringe conspiracy takes. Yes. And also like this whole like Freemasonry, Illuminati, <laughs> like it was just like a lot. And I was like, oh, oh my oh, gosh. gosh. And they said the Los Angeles Catholic worker isn't Catholic. Like they just were very gatekeepy mm-hmm. about who's in and who's out. So that was very very uh estranging for me they said things like feminism is satanic i wrote my thesis on feminism so i was like i don't know about that (gasps) and they were very like all or nothing if you don't accept every single teaching of the catholic church and agree with everything in the catechism then you're not really a catholic um and there's plenty of hypocrisy within that because some of those same catholics would you know have no problem voting for trump because of unborn babies Mm. but then all of his stances and and takes that were like anti-environment anti you know justice for immigrants like things like that it didn't matter because the issue of unborn was like seen as like the number one and i think it just wasn't a very holistic you know way of looking at things and seeing how all issues are interconnected um so yeah i that's traditionalists in a nutshell mm. um in the podcast there were just certain things that were mentioned like joyce mentions she overheard some friends of alana's at the time in her kitchen talking about how people who perform or get abortions should be charged with first degree murder and like that's the kind of stuff yeah. that like i'm not even surprised that some of yeah. the tradition the trads the conservatives would have takes like that unfortunately yeah very real I knew people like that
2: yeah
0: I think one of the 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 weirdest part about the podcast for me not the weirdest part but the most surprising part was for those of you who haven't listened yet she did not come from uh Alana did not come from a family that was like uber catholic Mm -hmm. like her parents were concerned with her religious fervor because it was Mm -hmm. getting pretty toxic pretty quickly and Mm -hmm. I mean she had some pretty inappropriate figures in her life like yes Um, which to her, I mean, to me, like, I get, I get the mindset that she was in. Like there was this, this priest who was like mentoring her, but he was a man and he was younger and I guess he was hot. It was kind of implied or something. (laughs) There were two
1: priests. One was this guy who was her spiritual director. And then there was this other priest that was, became the pastor, I think of that same church Mm -hmm. who was like a young Good looking hipster priest, kind of thing. right. Yeah. Okay,
0: I conflated the two in my
1: brain. Cause... That's fair, that it's not hard to do that. <laughs> I think I've
0: watched because I watched Fleabag and I'm like all into hot priest. Right
1: okay, I need to, I'm in Fleabag right now. We've started it, but I think you or someone else sent me a picture of like the main character with the priest. And I'm like, okay, I'm not there yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, it's a second okay.
0: season, but oh my god, I'm just like,
1: oh, it's funny. Well, so my yeah. I have an ex that's a priest and oh, she is he even has something in his like bio or something about being like a hipster priest that's like I'm so a contradiction of things but he's also extremely traditional and conservative like we were friends for a while and even I was like at his ordination and like we haven't talked in months and months or like I mean with the exception of like bumping into each other once but we've grown quite apart because he's just very very trad very trad about things and it's Pretty heartbreaking to see that happen to someone who's just, yeah. Yeah.
0: But like these priests were all up in her business and like texting mm-hmm. her. And like as a yeah. parent, like even if it's innocent, like it's still not, I'm uncomfortable.
1: Oh, like, 100%. Um, it's inappropriate. So as a person who has worked in youth ministry, um, I was a youth minister like in a Catholic church for almost a decade. Um, everyone in the church side takes what's called virtus training or safeguarding the children and it talks all about um, appropriate boundaries with minors mm-hmm. um, anyone who's following that knows that like you're not one-on-one with an, a minor if you're an adult mm-hmm. um, any you know things that you're doing with a minor or taking them anywhere anything like that a parent needs to be notified so right out the gate when I've heard that this adult man who's a priest was meeting with this teenage girl because it's one thing if you just happen to be a parish priest and you're like holding confessions at your Mm -hmm. weekly time and a teen comes in you know that's one thing but if you're intentionally scheduling and setting aside time regularly to meet and offer spiritual direction without talking to the parents without involving the parents that's super problematic super i mean Yeah, Yeah, definitely. mom is not
0: sending her to the priest to get like free therapy. It's no, no, no.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of levels of problematic. And it's it's interesting because I actually feel like Joyce reminds me a lot of my own mom Mm -hmm.
2: because
1: I had gone to a retreat this my summer before my sophomore year of high school that made me feel go from just like, oh, I got confirmed and I, I enjoy meeting older kids that are involved in church and makes me feel like, oh, I could be one of them. I was a part of this retreat and I remember that the end of the retreat, I made friends with a lot of kids, but by the end of the retreat, they said, try to set one goal so that you can grow in your faith. And my goal that I set was going to mass every Sunday, which if you're a very observant or traditional or conservative Catholic, that's a given because it's mm-hmm. a mortal sin to miss mass on Sunday. But yeah. from growing up in the household I did where my dad was, of jewish faith and then kind of he wasn't jewish in his religion he was actually he ended up joining like a a cult when i was in high school and then he left and so we have a, a very uh, ch- challenging relationship yeah. to say the least um he had been like not a good spouse to my mom and he left so um i also kind of related to a lot of dimensions of <laughs> the family dynamics with alana and So he was not involved. He was very skeptical of my Christian faith, my Catholic upbringing. And my mom was very like, take what you like and leave the rest, very pick and choose or cafeteria Catholic as Joyce was. And so when I came back from this camp and I told my mom, I want to go to mass every Sunday, she was like, huh, why? And she would drop me off at mass. I wasn't going, sneaking out to go. Um, And, but like, and then after college, i had had what I would consider a mystical experience the summer before my senior year of college that, and I was also involved with like a non-denominational evangelical group at my college alongside Mm -hmm. going to Catholic mass. I think I was going to a Jesuit parish and Jesuits are known for being pretty intellectual and progressive. So I think, and I was going to Reed College, which is like very progressive. So I think being at Reed and going to a Jesuit church in college counterbalanced a lot of the like kind of black and white evangelicalism Mm. that I was exposed to in intervarsity. So I stayed like relatively level, but I did have kind of a swing in my faith during my early twenties of being all or nothing about certain things in the church. I was like, if God is, if this is God's teaching, I have to accept it. And so Mm -hmm. I had this period of time where I was like kind of all or nothing about things. And I felt this sense of urgency and over responsibility that is really just codependency Mm. uh, for like the salvation of everyone that I knew that didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And it was like a lot of anxiety um, and pressure I was putting on myself. And that I think a lot of people in evangelical movements within the Catholic church and in non-Catholic evangelical spaces feel. Um, And so I also was seeking out a spiritual director because after this mystical experience, I mean, the only context I had for people who had had experiences like that were like saints. And most of those were like men and women who were in religious life. So I was discerning a religious vocation. I thought, what if I'm called to be a nun? Mm. And so I I started looking for a spiritual director. But A, that was in my 20s. So Mm. I was an adult. And B, I ended up with a Jesuit spiritual director who is very balanced. And spiritual direction was never do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. It was always have you talked about this with God or have you asked God this question? And it never felt leading. It never felt like, here's the right answer. Mm -hmm. Um, It was always like, you know, um, what's the heart of this teaching and like, what does it really mean to be close to God? Consolation is things that point you towards God. Desolation is things that point you away. That's Ignatian spirituality. The Jesuits were founded Mm -hmm. by St. Ignatius. I might be getting into the weeds here. But anyway, I love it. <laughs> so that spirituality, which if you dig into Ignatian spirituality, it has a ton of overlap with a lot of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was just very grounding for me. And my spiritual director was actually quite good at catching me in scrupulosity thought. He would be like, is that really from Jesus? Or is that the voice of what you think you ought to be or the shoulds that come from other Catholic voices. Because my inner critic sounds a lot like a rad trad sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's ironic because, you know, you think, if you think in black and white terms, if you're feeling really scrupulous about stuff, you're like, I guess I'm moving towards holiness. But it's like, that could actually be the false spirit making you worship these conservative things more than actually grow in closer relationship with God. And I'm just very grateful. I I mean, it's it's very, I felt listening to the podcast, like I'm so grateful I ended up with a spiritual director who was not spiritually abusive because Mm. this adult man was meeting with this young impressionable person who was a lot like I was at that age, looking for an escape from family dysfunction and feeling like a fervor for, my faith and sainthood and uh he was deeply influencing her and spiritually abusing her yeah. And that's heartbreaking
0: yeah so the common thread between not only you and alana but also the narrator simon fung was that you all were so fervent and so passionate about your faith but the difference is is that simon and alana did not have good direction and you did and
1: I think that's a huge part of it yeah um and even like I mean I'm I didn't experience solely same-sex attraction I identify as bi plus um but I've and I've had attractions to women and I I would say for me there was a good period of my life where I even if I felt attracted to women at times I was like no I think like I would analyze away those attractions Mm -hmm. and I'm i just think like her outfit
0: I, I just want her body or blah 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 blah
1: i would or i would say you know what i think i'm only attracted to women when i'm having issues with men or uh oh. it's really just like i'm projecting onto that woman what i want how i want to be desired by a man and like that kind of <laughs> yeah. analysis um to try to sort of distance myself from mm-hmm. or intellectualize away those feelings and um And I think especially in my adulthood, my 20s, when I was working for the church, there wouldn't have been a way for me to continue being a youth minister while being openly in a relationship with somebody of the same sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I think all of the time, even in those times when I was most fervent, most I have to accept everything, there were several things, teachings around queer people, for one, where I was like. I'm trying to accept this teaching and if it's really from you God then like I have to find a way for this to like to understand truth mm-hmm. but if this isn't your truth, please make it very clear on my heart that this isn't really from you yeah and that was always something where I was like, you know at the end of the day, I don't think it's my place to shoot on somebody about who they love and how they love that person. Mm. I think it's between them and the Holy Spirit and if I meet a Catholic person who's deeply discerning and deeply spiritual and also feels called to be in a relationship with somebody the same sex, I can't say that's not from the Holy Spirit. And so yeah. I, ha- I always had that openness um, that was like in my heart. But I think the way it manifested for me was it's not for me. Maybe it's okay. Maybe other people will be called to be with people of the same sex, but not me. I'm I'm not called to that. Um mm-hmm. So there was a lot of internalized bi-phobia that I experienced with that. Um, and I've been deconstructing that in the last few years since my my fiance came out as non-binary and I was like, oh, how do I reconcile Hot. my <laughs> spirituality and my sexuality? And like, yeah. am I allowed to be attracted to these more femme parts of you? And mm-hmm. yeah, all of those things were helpful in healing, in integrating the parts of me that I've been kind of. In away um yeah. so yeah god moves in unexpected ways sometimes for our greatest good but um yeah so I think seeing how I, I even identified with some of the aspects of how Simon and Alana mm-hmm. felt about their sexual orientation I'd never felt like I needed to go to therapy to fix it and I, I also grew up in a family where like my godmother was a lesbian growing up my grandfather is gay and he was married to my other grandfather and they'd been together for over 45 years he passed away a little over a year ago Mm -hmm. but they were i mean they were the the longest term model of fidelity in my life like Mm -hmm. all my other grandparents were like divorced or had not been together as long so it was my grandpa my grandpa's that their relationship was like the longest committed relationship i knew of um and so I, you know, and my mom was like, whoever you love, it's fine. <laughs> I'm like, God so I, I, so I just always had a more nuanced way of holding um, these things. And, um, and I think even going to a very uh, progressive public school where I was a part of, uh, we had a program called Project Safe Zone at my high school, where it was like a 12 hour lock in during the day and you would watch documentaries about gender and sexuality and they would have a panel of speakers and we'd have group discussions and it was just about deconstructing homophobia and transphobia and so it's just like all of those things were always things I was holding and Mm. I think one of the graces of my dad being in a cult (laughs) and being very (laughs) obsessive very all or nothing very vehement and seeing the fruit of that seeing kind of how like crazy it made him seem I've always had like spidey senses about cults Mm. and culty behavior whether that's in catholic spaces or christian spaces or wherever i see it i have this like i don't know about that when i'm around people who have that all or nothing very like extreme energy so i think that all of these things have helped me to sift through some of that stuff and it was just like yeah, I I listened to Simon's story and, and learned about Alana's and I was just like, I've been in a lot of those same experiences and that could have just as easily been me had I not had the good fortune to have yeah people treating me differently or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think the common thread that like broke my heart more than any other part of the podcast was that both Simon and Alana kind of held on to becoming, Simon was like wanting to become a priest and Alana wanted to mm-hmm. become a nun.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And part of it felt like they were holding on to that specifically to fight against their sexuality. Like, ugh, like mm-hmm. oh, like, if, oh, if I'm gay, if I'm a lesbian, then no sex ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, they did frame it as like, they had this, like, they felt the connection to God, but it felt like a leap to me. Mm -hmm. and then they both went through conversion therapy and Mm -hmm. as like I mean her spiritual director was all for it he was like yeah Mm -hmm. let's do it or whatever behind Mm -hmm. her mother's back and it just felt like yeah I mean even in evangelicalism people do that is like nowadays it's like oh yeah it's Totally fine if you're gay, not okay if you act on it. So now you have to be celibate for the rest of your life and never experience love or partnership because it's the wrong kind.
1: Right. And I mean, I think that's just been prevalent in the Catholic Church for a long time. Of like, I mean, because celibacy in religious life is such a part of the Catholic tradition and has been for, you know, millennia Mm. um i think that there's already this theology of celibacy for the kingdom and even the way that other like i talked with a nun about it who's very progressive she's all for queer theology all for women's ordination but she also was like people are called to love in different ways. There's inclusive Mm. love and exclusive love. And the way that I feel called to express my sexuality, express my passion, express my love, is in living in community with other women and in being of service to the church. And I do think that that is a very valid sexuality, just as asexuality is. And I think that all of, I think celibacy as a lifestyle is a beautiful thing if that's what you feel is right for you. I think what's problematic is the way the church has historically had a presentation of celibacy as superior to mm-hmm. married life and being sexually active.
0: And it's been weaponized. I mean, how many women were like, oh, I mean, I've just seen a history podcast where they were like, oh, you, the king doesn't want you to be his wife anymore. So now you're going to go be a nun. like
2: thanks
1: (laughs) yeah so it was like there were only there wasn't and there weren't other examples right of ways to be currently in the catholic church they teach that there's what's called a single vocation so there's like people who are also called to not be religious so not live in community with a, a religious community to be nuns or or monks but um are just called to be like single for service essentially so like people who never get married and therefore never have sex because if you're not married you shouldn't be having sex (laughs) um so you know they're just single people who also are celibate and who live a life of service not necessarily just specifically to the church but they're out in the world doing their thing and they happen to be single Mm -hmm. um and so i mean i think that the beauty of like at least emphasizing that vocation is that it tries to be like there's not something wrong with you if you're not a nun or unmarried, like Mm -hmm. that's a vocation too, but it's like, it's like you're getting there, but it's still kind of presents this like all or nothing with sexuality and this, um, yeah, just this, I think the hyper emphasis on like the only acceptable expression of sexual intimacy is you know, penetrative sex that culminates in, you know, insemination in the, in the vagina Mm -hmm. within the context of marriage. There's no other forms of sex that are, are within, you know, what's acceptable. And that's like, just not human. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's not the way it works humanly. And I think there's unfortunately not enough nuance, not enough, uh, just leaning into how, how do we make holy? What is human in the same way that Jesus in his incarnation made humanness holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Um, so I do think when it comes to currently in the church, yeah. The teaching that like what Simon was saying that like, he wanted to be a priest, but he was told that if you he was gay or had same sex attraction, he could not qualify to be ordained and that is a an a more or less current policy in mm-hmm. most discernment processes um i also happen to know of a number of priests who are gay openly so or discreetly yeah you just lie at the right? beginning until you get there <laughs> well well i actually i've heard that i know of at least one jesuit who shared a story about um being gay and talking with a vocation director about it and the vocation director was like i'd say don't just become a jesuit yet try dating and like encouraged him to try dating and see what he really feels like is on his heart and i think that the beauty like that was Mm. such a nuanced thing and that's not the practice most places so again it's like the unfortunate thing that instead of having a director that told Simon your same, your same sex attraction, just like being attracted to people of the opposite sex is, you know, fine. Like the idea that because you're attracted to men, you can't be a priest is so silly because it's not like if you're attracted to women, you aren't going to still have sexuality when you're celibate. Like you're going to find women in your church attractive. And I think it's more the concern of like the way that seminary formation, you're surrounded by temptation all the time. It's like, that's just, there's such an all or nothing, very restrictive way of looking at sexuality that Mm -hmm. reduces people to not having nuance and like just purely animalistic urges. And I really think if there wasn't so much repression of sexuality and homosexuality in particular, then we would have a lot more integration and a lot more people just feeling like they can be themselves whether that's in the celibate life as a priest or not and again we may also have the celibacy rule maybe lifted again one day because originally you did not have to be celibate to be a priest in the catholic church so yeah alas here we are today
0: <laughs> i know i feel like the main point of the podcast was to kind of exemplify the toxic religion that can get us all like sure some people could be rad trad and not become you know suicidal but the the reality is is that it is an easy pipeline right and we need to recognize that especially as Catholics as Protestants as Mormons like this obsession with our spirituality can be good But it can also be very detrimental, and like people, adults especially, need to start recognizing that to discern that, to know when something is good and when something is bad.
2: Absolutely,
0: I I know so many people who like go on to become pastors and just become like these really toxic spiritual figures because they were encouraged to, you know, lean into this obsession, and people who, you know, hurt themselves, whether it be physically or mentally. Because they they want to fit this idea that they have in their head, like you were talking about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And not everybody is gonna be like little Josie over here who calls bullshit. Like not everybody has that in them, you know? No. It's, it's a personality. I think trait.
1: If, if your entire identity and sense of belonging is wrapped up in uh agreeing with certain ideologies mm-hmm. or or living uh certain rules, living by certain rules then the idea of breaking those rules or questioning those rules or those ideologies potentially means your entire sense of self is threatened. And that is, I mean, anyone who's experienced or been able to enter into like a deconstruction process has probably had to have a crisis, an identity crisis at Mm -hmm. some point because when you're fed this all or nothing idea, then there isn't nuance. Like if I say women should be ordained, a rad trad is going to be like, so what? You just don't even think the Eucharist is the real presence. So you just what? You don't even think <laughs> Jesus is your Savior. So what? You don't even think God is real. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa! I didn't that say that was a leap. That. Yeah, <laughs> that was a big leap. But that's I think yeah. that's that's the fear that if I pull out this one card, if I say, what if gender isn't essential, mm-hmm. the entire house of cards has to come falling down. It's like no, it doesn't. We just we just start building the house of cards in a different way. We start mm-hmm. restructuring it. It's remodeling, not completely rebuilding maybe it has to be rebuilding if like the very foundation is totally rotten but i think jesus is ultimately the foundation of christianity and i think a lot of churches have gotten really far away from the the movement and the spirituality and the the ideas and and practices of jesus and that's what's kind of unfortunate that's the sickness in a lot of christianity and evangelicalism
0: Yeah, and as somebody, I I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder when I was a kid. And I still struggle with it to this day, even though, I mean, look at my podcast queue, it's a fucking, oh my God, it's so organized. Like I still, yeah, I still struggle with my OCD. Mm -hmm. And all I I see that the red flags, the OCD red flags of like, this has become religious OCD. Yes. And I would argue, that mm-hmm. you cannot experience God when you are an OCD, religious OCD.
1: Yeah, I w- I would agree with that. In fact, I believe the first couple diagnoses, like early on when OCD was being developed as a disorder and being mm-hmm. examined, the first diagnoses were in Catholics because of they would go to confession. Five minutes later, like tr- stub their toe, say fuck, and feel like oh God, I used a profanity. I have to go back to confession um mm-hmm. so you know five hill marys
0: the, the, like the, the scrupulosity and,
1: yeah. and like sort of superstitious mm-hmm. um application of pr- prayerful repetition and like i need to do all these things in order to be okay i think that was like where people started to like mm, yeah. maybe this isn't healthy actually maybe this isn't holy yeah maybe this is unhealthy for people yeah
0: Yeah. And I mean, from personal experience, I've never experienced God more than in my deconstruction, like to be open to the fullness of the human experience and the fullness of our biology, our psychology and Mm -hmm. like hearing the story of Simon and of Alana. And I'm just like, you were so close, but you were so far like you were you thought that these rules would save you when when you were really looking for God to save you. Yeah. But the rules were clouding the judgment, like the rules of the religion, and and I mean, I'm not I'm not anti Catholic Church. Like my grandma, my grandma's very much. Like, mm-hmm. My grandma was Catholic, and then she got converted, and then they convinced her that the Catholic Church was satanic, which is like such yeah. a. Everybody yeah. thinks everybody's
1: satanic. Right, right. <laughs> I've <laughs> met those kind of Christians who were like, but the ca- Catholicism isn't isn't re- you're you're all you're not you're, saved. You're not going to heaven. You're heretics. Yeah. 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 I'm Like uh, what? what i have had such
0: profound spiritual experiences in you know catholic churches and i think it's because i'm an artist and i think
2: mm, the devotion
0: yeah. to want to make something so beautiful i mean it's problematic sometimes because you know money and labor mm-hmm. and all this stuff mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. the devotion to want to build some a monument to god that is not only like stoic but beautiful and creepy and glorious. Yeah. like i get it like i yeah. get it and you don't have a lot of that in the christian church like our churches right. are just kind of ugly
2: and there's like... a
1: the the theology of plainness as a result mm-hmm. of like you know jesus wouldn't have wanted all this opulence because this should be mm-hmm. given to the poor i mean she, judas also kind of thought like that he was like how would why would you pour all that expensive oil you let her use up that oil that's like such a waste when we could give it to the poor and Mm -hmm. she's like sometimes treating yourself is okay like sometimes it's important to crack open that expensive bottle of wine and enjoy it and i'm gonna say artistic
0: expression is enough
1: yes yeah um and yeah i'm totally on the same page with you I was actually just talking with a priest that I work with at another church. I work as a bulletin editor right now at a church. (laughs) One of my part-time gigs. Um, But we were talking about just how, like, the beauty of art in the in the church, like Michelangelo, existed because there were economic systems at the time that were like, "Huh, if we really want to see what this guy can do artistically, Mm -hmm. we have to make sure that he doesn't have to have another day job." So we're just gonna give him enough to live we'll give him shelter food all his other basic needs will be covered and then he can just make his art and it'll Mm. it'll benefit us all because we'll have the beauty of it it's like if we had i mean patreon attempts to be like inspired by old patronage but it's it's not the same and we don't have enough of an economic system to really embrace that particularly in america but anyway i digress i'm all for (laughs) like imagine if we could continue to value artists and what artists bring to the world the way that the early church did yeah i mean not that we're biased or anything (laughs) of course as artists not not at all biased um another thing kind of going back a few notches this is a spoiler so if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to dear alana maybe pause here but Okay, now that I've prefaced, um mm-hmm. so towards the end of the podcast, Alana does have healthy integrating therapy mm-hmm. Do- she does learn how to accept that she's a lesbian, she does have a loving relationship with another woman, but it seems like it's the deeply ingrained shame that's still a holdover from religious trauma and abuse and manipulation that um continues to sort of be this like this festering thing and even as she fights it and she tries there's just damage that's been done and it's hard to say like you know with people who who really struggle with their mental health even if they're surrounded by people who love them and and are trying to do everything they can to give them support and health like sometimes people still end up dying by suicide and it's it's heartbreaking yeah um and you know it is what it is um you can't you can't go back and be like, but if I had just done this, if I had just done that. But I I think particularly if we look at the increased prevalence of suicidality mm. among queer people, we have to ask, hmm, is this just a mental health coincidence or mm. is this perhaps due to the increased internalized shame that's pushed yeah. on queer people from institutions and you know, prominent figures in their life. Um, there was like a research doc study that looked at, um, like what I learned about when I was in youth ministry, that if teens have five adults in their faith life that influence them, that it d- it dramatically increases their likelihood of continuing on in their faith. And so I think you could definitely apply that kind of logic to say, okay, well, if you have five people influencing you, who are doing so in a harmful way, then, mm. which it sounds like she had a majority of. Like, she had her mom, who was like really nuanced and really balanced, relatively, mm-hmm. maybe flawed because we're all flawed, but like she was doing her best to just try to be like, I love you no matter what. Like, I, yeah. I love you for who you are and God loves you. But she had these other people who were like giving her a sense of belonging and a sense of, I'm loved but it was conditional and and they seem abuse. like a higher
0: authority than their mother they right they seem like... like
1: an authority yes they're they were totally feeding into clericalism in that regard too like yeah absolutely abuse of authority so it's it's just unfortunate when that happens and i also appreciated how simon in that i think it's the last episode he apologizes he has that opportunity to reconcile with his cousin um <sighs> And yes. I I think about that too. I don't think I I don't I I hope that and I I don't have memory of being so explicitly um harmful to any of the teens that I ministered to, but I do look back and cringe at some of the things I did in my first couple years of youth ministry because mm. I thought that's what I needed to do and I thought that's what I had to do and be. I mean, I went to youth ministry training conferences that made me think my job description as an evangelist, as a youth minister is to try to get people to be Catholic and to agree with the Catholic Mm -hmm. church and to believe all the same things that I felt I had to believe in too, in order to belong. And I remember even talking to my spiritual director about it. And he said, is your job description to do the work of conversion Or is your job description just to provide young people with an opportunity to encounter God and then you let God do the rest? And I was like, Mm. damn, like Mm. I was I was kind of schooled by that because I realized what I was doing. And part of my journey alongside my Catholic faith journey has been finding 12 step spirituality to be incredibly healing and integrating Mm. for me. I was seeing a therapist um, like six or so years ago who told me about a 12-step program that deals with growing up in a dysfunctional family dynamic. Mm. And the program talks about alcoholism and para-alcoholism. Para-alcoholism is pretty much any compulsive or addictive behavior that isn't drinking Mm -hmm. and para-alcoholism is also treated as synonymous with codependency Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of there are a couple programs that deal with codependency there's adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families codependence anonymous alateen or alanon which is for people who know other alcoholics Um, and all of those programs are geared towards recognizing that you can't control what other people do and it isn't your responsibility to do so and i feel like the more i've learned how to embrace the traditions of 12-step spirituality one of which is attraction versus promotion Mm. i'm just like wow the christian movement globally has a huge codependency problem yeah (laughs) There are a ton of people who are in denial, which is the language of 12 step spirituality, who are not ready to come out of their denial yet. But coming out of denial, step one in the 12 steps is we have come to believe uh, that we have a problem and we like want help with it, basically. Like, yeah. coming out of denial is acknowledging the problem. Like, I. Admit that I am powerless over the effects of alcoholism. That's mm-hmm. step one in Alcoholics Anonymous. I admit that I'm powerless over others is step one in Codependents Anonymous.
2: Mm. And
1: I think it that kind of acknowledgement is missing from most practical teaching about evangelization.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's missing from uh, just, yeah, like how we think about the mission of the church. Yeah. Um, and I do think there are some people in church movements who are trying to present a model of accompaniment of meeting people where they're at, but there is so much of this conservative traditional bent that's like, that's not enough, we need mm-hmm. to give people the truth and it's like yeah. whoa 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 like God is truth. hmm. We need to provide opportunities for people to build a relationship with God, the God of their understanding, mm. not pushing our understanding of God onto them because God meets each of us where we're at. And so who are we to do anything different? Yeah. Um, and I just I see so much codependency in um, both Simon and Alana stories. And I related to it. I saw it mm-hmm. because it was part of my own experience, too. and. Um, And I'm grateful for the recovery I've had in my program. Um, And I, you know, recovery is not a, it's not a one and done. Like I did the 12 Mm -hmm. steps and now I'm done. It's like a spiral staircase and it's backsliding and going up and coming, you know. Shoots and ladders. Shoots and ladders. ladders. (laughs) It is shoots and ladders all the way. And, um, but I think coming out of denial is generally not something you come back from once you've kind of, gone far enough along in your journey of recovery and so once you've had that and i think a lot of times in the mystical christian tradition it's referred to as a second naivete Mm -hmm. right there's a first naivete and then a second naivete um and i think that might be like language from john of the cross if i'm not mistaken um there's like there is a mystical tradition of unlearning to relearn, mm-hmm. which we're now calling deconstruction. And mm-hmm. that's a buzzword that a lot of pastors are like, beware, deconstruction, it's satanic. And it's mm-hmm. like, actually, it's not a new thing. It's kind of been a part of the Martin Luther. <laughs> it's been a part of, well, yeah, right, for one. Um, and I think Martin Luther wouldn't have formed a whole new bent. Like a lot of Catholics I know think Martin Luther... I don't remember what it was that specifically ended up. I think it was the Catholic church's refusal to hear him Mm -hmm. that led to him not led to him leaving the church Mm -hmm. and not identifying with Catholicism anymore, because I think he so loved a lot of things about the Catholic Christian tradition. But then it was just the way that the trads kept digging in their heels. And I see it. A lot of my friends have just cut ties because of the pain Mm -hmm. of feeling like their very identity their very selves is not understood and there's not room made for them in the church women i know who i love the women priests i know like you guys interviewed father ann before and um uh my partner and i went to a, a mass led by uh reverend rosa manriquez who's a a woman priest and she did like a really beautiful liturgy and tied in like a teaching about Dia de los Muertos. And it was just like, wow, the church really needs more voices of women. Like mm-hmm. it's just unfortunate that someone like her, for years and years of her life, felt like there's no room for my vocation in mm-hmm. my tradition. And then she found a way. Yeah. Um and yeah, I just feel for so many people. And I, I struggle with it sometimes. But I think what helps me kind of come back at times is thinking about the root of the word Catholic as universal. And I Mm. look for what is universal? What is the common ground that we all share? And in this path that was early, like early known as the way that Jesus was trying to teach, you know, what what truths that we see universally align with that? And what are the things that the church is doing now that really have nothing to do with the way that Jesus Mm -hmm. was talking about? That's where I'm at today and how I integrate it all. But a lot of people would say I'm heretical or heterodoxical. And uh, I'm okay with that. I'll be that kind of hetero. Yeah. (laughs) I think for real. (laughs) real. (laughs) I'll be that kind of (laughs) hetero.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I I feel like churches are not learning from history, right? Like this, like the deconstruction movement. Who are we if not Martin Luther nailing the fucking 99 thesis out of desperation on the church door? Like, we get so lost in the mythology of Martin Luther that I feel like we forget that he was an individual who was so... In tune with his spirituality, in tune with God, that he was like, This cannot stand. And it's not like he's posting on the internet, right? He's like, His one rebellion that lasted the test of time was that he nailed his (laughs) ideas on a door out of desperation.
1: Most of which I think the church today would embrace, like Mm -hmm. almost all of them. Mm -hmm. The church would be like, Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Like, yeah. So there was nothing in conflict, really. Yeah. with the way the church has continued to evolve and the way the counter reformation needed to happen because mm-hmm. the reformation was happening for a good reason. Yeah. there's a lot of need for reform and there continues to be a lot of need yeah. for Yeah. and it's not just the catholic church
0: right like so many of us are doing our 99 thesis on the evangelical door and they just mm-hmm. refuse to listen and the yeah. result of which unfortunately can be an alana situation where people just die because i mean i say it's dying of natural causes because what else what else was naturally supposed to happen like I
1: my partner and i both said she was martyred she mm-hmm. is a martyr she is of the church i mean she might not have been burnt at the stake physically mm-hmm. and literally but she was burnt at the emotional and interior warfare yeah. stake because of the the subtle manipulations of people who held her very identity in their hand and said, here it is, you have to follow our conditions Mm -hmm. in order to have your identity. And I think that that happens all too often in churches.
0: I mean, the last episode I think is titled Saint and I -hmm. mean, essentially Mm -hmm. sainting her. And I think that's so appropriate. Like she is the patron saint of everybody who was ever told that being queer was wrong and out of line with God. And Mm -hmm. it's just, I mean I'm so glad that this podcast exists and, and I, again I'm not even Catholic I I mean I'm Mexican so I guess you know culturally I could be Catholic. <laughs> we want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Talking <yeah>. about identity. <laughs> I,
0: know. I know it's so great I'm like well I don't know I don't know a lot about Catholics but yeah I mean I really appreciate your perspective on this especially since your story is so aligned and I mean, I, for one, as somebody who knows you, I'm so grateful that you, you know, were able to have beautiful people in your life that led you down a different path. Cause this could have been you.
1: It very well could have. And like, I don't by any means, I'm not like, well, I did the right thing. Like, it's very yeah. much like it was circumstance. And I think that's often the case. I think anytime we feel like, well, I wouldn't have done X, Y, Z, it's like, if we look at the conditions in our lives that were completely out of our control, like mm-hmm. the circumstances, the environments, the people we happen to be connected with. Yeah. Um, we see that we really were not in control or orchestrating at all. And like mm-hmm. our, however much we've achieved or however much we've stayed out of jail, like yeah. that is really not that it's not really like I'm that different from anybody else. And, my hope with this podcast is that more Catholics, particularly Catholic leaders listen to it Mm -hmm. and pray with it and hold it in their hearts. Because I really do think Alana has so many of the markers of, of sainthood. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the way that her, her, Her life was such a healing miracle in Simon's life. And um, I don't know. I just I think about like the holiness that she was perceived to have Mm -hmm. during her younger years when she was battling so much. But she was also trying and seeking sainthood so hard. It's funny because there's this there's this teen who died when he was 16 of cancer. Who's a saint now or he's on his path to sainthood. Blessed Carlos uh, Acutis, I think is his name. And he was very deeply religious and he compiled a whole list of all the Eucharistic mysticals or Eucharistic miracles, excuse mm-hmm. me, that have taken place. And he's all revered. Now he's, on, he's like been beatified and he's on his way to being canonized. Mm-hmm. And I think if Alana had died when she was 16, she would probably be just like him. Yeah. And I think what's crazy is what if at that age, when she was so on fire with her spirituality, instead of being told, Don't tell anybody that you find women attractive and go to therapy to try to heal it, if she had been given a church that was like, Beautiful, let your attraction and desire to be with women pour into your vocation, pour into your love, pour into your sainthood, that those things could be seen as compatible what kind of a you know mother teresa or Mm -hmm. like married mother teresa she would Mm -hmm. have been able to become and and like continue to grow and continue to live a life full of love full of fervor for god that's aligned and compatible with her being a lesbian Mm -hmm. and it's just i yeah i just think that yeah i just think about that and i i wish we had more models of holy integrated spirituality and um I do I do think that she has a lot yeah I think calling her calling that last episode Saint and and being like Saint Alana pray mm-hmm. for us like you know also not to be like origin of Alexandria about things because he was also considered too heretical because he was like every knee shall bow. I the Catholic Church teaches that it's okay to hope that hell is empty. Mm -hmm. um that you know basically that contends that hell has to exist because we have free will and i i say i actually do agree with that because i think god is all about consent Mm. and i don't think that god would force any of us to be in an infinite embrace with god's self Mm. but that being said i find it unlikely that anyone confronted with the divine mystery that none of us fully can comprehend that is God ha- would with all full knowledge of who God is decide yeah I I want to disconnect from that so my my hypothesis is that everybody is a saint <laughs> <laughs> um, and so in that regard I mean aside from just the genuine life that she led uh, as an exemplar of seeking to be a good person and seeking to be as integrated as she could as yeah. well. I, I think she's she's a saint. So.
0: Yeah. I mean friends, uh <laughs> send dear Lana to every Catholic you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah. then send this podcast episode to um, everybody in your Archdiocese, uh, all the higher ups, just to piss them off. It'd be fun. Uh, just kidding.
1: Well, don't do that. Then I'll like lose all my part time. Oh, shit. Never
2: mind. <laughs> never,
0: mind, don't do it. never
1: mind. Just send it's them to right.
0: me. Send them yeah. to me and I'll yeah. kick their ass. It's fine. Um, yeah. 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 Well, Jessica, this has been a great conversation. I, I mean, I am just so moved by it all. Um but tell the people you have a lot going on and I want people to know all about you. So plug away at your new single, everything.
1: Thank you. Um yeah, let's see. I just I did put out a song, a second single from my full-length album that's coming out next year um in September and I think my next one's going to come out next month. Um and I, yeah, I'm a singer-songwriter. I play shows around LA and eventually would like to go on tour, but trying to plan a wedding and an album release and a tour at once is not sustainable. So I'm doing my mm-hmm. best. Um, but yeah, I, you can find me at j gerhardt music um, on Instagram and all the places. That's pretty much my main, my main place where I share, my music, as well as my musings about things spiritual and religious, my opinions about things are pretty much all on Instagram. Um, and You can connect with me there. Oh, and you make and, stuff.
0: I love, I'm, <laughs> I'm obsessed so with this one. I'm obsessed with another Instagram.
1: <laughs> I also have an Instagram for like my art. Um, I do jewelry making, um, embroidery, and recently embroidery stop motion, um, which is very time consuming. <sighs> and uh, rosary making and i also make pride flag rosaries so like with all the colors from different uh pride flags um and i give a percentage to new ways ministry which is an inclusive and affirming catholic queer organization for better visibility and inclusion in the church advocacy um and yeah that instagram and etsy is a the etsy shop is work of human hands instagram is work of human hands art
0: yes well friends as always you can find us on speaking in church on instagram where you can find our tip jar our merch um i'm on josie takes the world it's uh pictures of my friends and my dogs and my uh crocheting um (laughs) that's, that's great but yes, listen to Dear Alana, anywhere you can get pot your podcast friends. It is truly just, especially if you're into the deconstruction space and passionate about, you know, being an advocate um and an activist, I would say go ahead. Um, let's get Alana sainted. <laughs> yeah, that's it, friends. As always, stay woke and get woke. Bye.